Please bow your heads with me as we ask God to bless the reading and proclamation of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 through 12 and verse 16. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. And whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ezekiel's witness of the glory of God leaving the Jerusalem temple is related in stages, beginning in the first chapter of Ezekiel. The prophet has been carried off into exile, but standing there by the foreign river Kebar, he is shown an elaborate vision of what many call a chariot, driven by four mysterious creatures, each with four faces and four wings. The wings form a sort of box over the wheelworks, equally mysterious, each appearing as a wheel inside of a wheel. And the wheels roll as the creatures move. They rise into the air as the creatures rise. They fall as the creatures fall. It is a vision of perpetual motion. And above it all was something like a throne. And something was sitting on the throne, gleaming with a bright amber color, with flames all around it. And Ezekiel's language turns poetic as he says, like the rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. Such was the appearance of the splendor all round. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. 
Later, in chapter 8, Ezekiel's vision carries him to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the temple, and he sees the same chariot with the presence of God upon it. And again, he marvels at the brisk, choreographed movement of the creatures and the wheels. The chariot moves to the east gate of the temple and hovers there. In these moments, the presence of God speaks to Ezekiel, explaining what will happen because of Israel's sin. But there is hope in the words as well. And here we pick up with the actual text of Ezekiel in the 11th chapter, verses 17 through 25. Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. When they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh so that they may follow my statutes and keep my ordinances and obey them. Then they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, says the Lord God. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them, and the glory of the Lord ascended from the middle of the city and stopped on the mountain east of the city. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea to the exiles, and then the vision that I had seen left me, and I told the exiles all the things that the Lord had shown me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As elaborate and spectacular as this vision was, the detail that captures my imagination most is the wheels. Spinning gyroscopes, flitting to and fro like a hungry hummingbird, but always remaining in locked precision with all of the other parts, ready to move in any direction at any minute. In this passage, the presence of God leaves the most sacred building of Judaism, the place known as the very home of God, and the implication is clear. God can no longer stay put. Just as the New Testament tells us that the curtain of the Holy of Holies is ripped from top to bottom when Jesus dies on the cross, the Old Testament tells us that God will not be locked up in a little room away from the world. My mother has distinct memories of the time when she was young and she and her best friend Julia went to see Elvis Presley at the Charlotte Coliseum. Julia had a very cool mom. And it was June 26, 1956. And the rock and roll era was just beginning and Elvis's popularity was already skyrocketing. The next month, he recorded Hound Dog 
And by December of that same year, 1956, a promoter in Shreveport used, probably for the first time, a phrase that became a common idiom. Elvis was a middle act in the show. The crowd had, as usual, gone wild, but other bands needed to get on the stage and they couldn't get there. So Horace Logan, the promoter, got on stage, went to the microphone, and told that crazed crowd, Elvis has left the building. In other words, if you are staying here, hoping to see Elvis again, you might as well leave. He is not here. All of that power, all of that electricity has moved on. Our approach to stewardship this year has been somewhat influenced and informed by this image and by the reality of our world right now. Circumstances beyond our control have made it necessary for us as the church to leave this building and the net space at least for a little while. We have done that as an act of kindness, care, and shared responsibility, and it seems that so far these efforts have been successful. And even though it feels like we have been in an exile of sorts for a while, even though we have experienced inconveniences and frustrations during this time, we have also become aware that the church is very much alive. It's just that the center has moved. The church in many ways has gone more mobile to meet you out there wherever you may be. And that was the main message that Ezekiel heard and the good news that he was able to share with his fellow exiles. Yes, there was some difficult news. God was allowing Jerusalem to fall to Babylon in large part because of the sin and faithlessness of the Israelites. But the larger, more hopeful and lasting message was one of hope. The people in exile had grown despondent because they didn't know how to practice good and faithful Judaism, being so far separated from the temple. Furthermore, if the temple back home was destroyed, they feared that their faith would also be destroyed. And they even dared to worry that their God would be destroyed if his house was reduced to rubble. In response to those fears, Ezekiel's prophecy was an affirmation that God is much bigger than any house. Right from the very beginning, before the world began, when the Spirit of God hovered back and forth over the waters of chaos in Genesis 1, the power of God was in perpetual motion. The people, especially those in exile, had to be reminded that God could never be contained completely within one house. So Ezekiel carried back to them a vision of hope, a message that his troubled brothers and sisters in exile could rest easy and know that their God was still with them. In short, they were told that their God had wheels. And that the full glory of the presence of God was rolling out to get them 
and bring them home again. In 2006, when I decided to leave my law practice, pack up our young family and head to seminary, I was convinced that that was what God wanted me to do. And I was confident of that, but I was still scared. Somewhere in Southern Virginia, as I drove our family car up I-95, all of those fears kind of banded together and came tumbling out in force from that storage closet in my mind where I had been cramming them. Everything we owned was in a moving van behind us on the highway. Stephanie was in the passenger seat. Molly and Kate were in the back in their car seats. Molly was three and Kate was just three months old. Neither of them had a clue about where we were going, what we were doing, or what I had just done to our family livelihood. And in that particular moment, I didn't either. Some tears began to form in the corners of my eyes. What had I just done to us? And it was at that moment, that exact moment, that I happened to spot through misty eyes something ahead on the side of the road. And then I was able to see that it was a man walking, which is kind of strange on an interstate, And then as I got closer, I saw that the man had something on his back. And as I got even closer, I realized that it was a man who was walking north and on his shoulder was a cross. He was walking along the side of the highway carrying a wooden cross that was 10 feet high, painted white, and it had little wheels affixed to the bottom so that the base of the cross would not drag along the pavement. Okay, maybe in that moment I did need a sign, but I was hoping for something a little bit more obvious. No, that sign was pretty much right on the nose. Could not have been more obvious. And ever since, whenever I get a little worried, Whenever I feel alone or frustrated in the life of faith, I am reminded of the words that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew's gospel. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? Today is Consecration Sunday, and we are in many ways a people in exile. But the good news of the gospel is this. Our God cannot be contained by any house, Our God is way too big for that. And our God will roll out and help us, roll out and teach us, roll out and find us, and roll out to save us. Whatever we may have done, however we may have let God down, whatever pain we may be experiencing, our God has wheels.
and is always in motion for us. So we all have a decision to make. If we want to be disciples, if we want to walk with God and serve God with everything we have, then we have to roll out too. It's not a question of waiting for God and waiting until we feel like God is close and everything is comfortable and right and then going out. No, we are called to go out in faith first. We are called to roll out in courage for God, roll out in courage for other people. And if you do, I'll be willing to bet that out there on the road, you will see a sign, something that comes out of nowhere, something to remind you that God really is rolling beside you every step of the way, meeting your every need. Over the past few weeks, Culminating on this day, you have been asked to estimate the gift that you are giving to God, the gift that you are able to give to Christ's church. The gift you will make is not about the church's phone bill. It is not a consumer transaction. Your gift is an act of discipleship. It is a way for you to commit yourself to God, to commit yourself to true discipleship, and to commit yourself to the service of other people in Christ's name. I encourage you to be bold with that gift. I encourage you to put bold trust in God. I encourage you to put bold trust into the disciples of Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church. Make this act a bold and momentous step in your walk with God. Ezekiel's vision of perpetual motion reminds us that the power and the presence of God will not and cannot be contained. That power and presence has left the building to find you, to find me, and to save the world. If we wish to be Christ's faithful disciples, we have to take up our own crosses and follow him. The good news is that our crosses, just like the one I saw that day, have wheels. Our crosses are built for travel. So, if you can, if you are close to this building this morning, why don't you roll by this building in a few minutes? and we can roll out together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.